nose, up my nose. It would like hold my face like a dentist. And just, mm, just stick its nose up there. And I don't know why the kitten did this. I don't know if the kitten liked Coke. But I was like, that's my Coke, bitch. Kitten's like, eh. Yes, you are in the ass, ladies and gentlemen. That's disgusting. And people literally were in my ass yesterday, which uh, which we'll talk about in just a moment. Hi, I'm Adam Sank. This is the Adam Sank Show on the Derek and Romaine Radio Network. It's a rainy day here in New York City. We are live, if you're listening live, Saturday, June 17th at 3 p.m. And if you're listening on the Endless Replay, hello to you, too. Ladies and gentlemen, our number here is 844-TALK-DNR. Last show, we received zero phone calls. Zero. We didn't get one phone call, which uh, was upsetting, especially because I know some people were listening. You were in the chat room. You were tweeting. You were... Facebooking, but you didn't call in. So give us a call. ADD Jeff is here waiting to uh, to take your call. But remember, you won't actually get to talk to Jeff. You'll just suddenly hear the show through your phone, and you'll hear that until we actually get to your call, and then you'll be talking to me live. So don't hang up. Don't get discouraged. Just listen to the show, and then talk to us, because I want to hear from you bitches. Um, also in the studio today is uh, the lovely Lexi, the intern, is here. She was just shaking her titties for me a moment ago as we were what? listening to the yes, sexually harassing. Were you not, Lexi? Um, my mic isn't on. Oh, her mic's off. Come on, Thank look alive, you. Orlando. There we go. Um, yes, I was shaking my titties, but I, the only because the song was popping. So, well, know. if you got them, shake them. That's what I say. And you right? got them, girl. <laughs> Thank um, you. And most importantly, in the hot seat, in the driver's seat, in the cockpit, is Orlando producing his very first solo radio show. And your uh, mic's off. There you go. <laughs> You're doing great so He's far. Winning. How you doing, Orlando? It's going great so far, even though I kind of messed up first. But well, you you know you started the show properly, <laughs> and that's the most important thing. You heard my comedy clip. You heard the intro song. I'm you know happy. the fucking mics Good are color coded, right? I mean, you could, can you see the colors and no, read the I'm ones blind. on the? I'm, I'm just blind. saying, Jeff, don't be a cunt. It's his first <laughs> time. He's doing great. He's Katie Good has job, abandoned. Uh, Katie has abandoned us this week. She's in. Uh, Guatemala or Argentina. She's somewhere south of the border. Um, and so Orlando is, is doing this and he's doing a great job. So um, if anything goes wrong with the show today, it's Orlando's fault. But <laughs> we love him anyway. Um, that's coming off your check, Orlando. I that's right. Do you that. get paid for this? I do. I don't. All right. So <laughs> let me tell you guys about my butthole because it has been a traumatic 48 hours. Um, as some of you who follow me on Facebook and Twitter know, I had to have a routine colonoscopy. It was my second one. I have several risk factors for uh, colon cancer, which we won't get into now, but um, this was the second one. And uh, if you've ever had a colonoscopy, the procedure itself is great. It's you're, They knock you out with propofol, which is uh, the thing stuff style. that Michael Jackson used to take every night to sleep. And I totally get it because it's the most lovely sleep you've ever had. But the run-up to the procedure, there's days of prep that is horrible. And the closer you get to the procedure, the worse it gets. So the 24 hours before the procedure, first of all, you can't eat any solid foods. You can only drink what? clear liquids and eat clear broth. And then the afternoon before the procedure, you have to start drinking this stuff called Miralax, yep. 
which basically makes your asshole explode. And everything you've been eating and drinking for the last couple of days comes shooting out of you in a stream. And you have to drink a lot of it. Like you have to drink 64 <laughs> ounces of Miralax and Gatorade. So but the, the goal is that they want to clean your colon such that by the time you're done shitting all this out, it, the only thing coming out of you is clear liquid. Right. So that happened. And I was like, okay. And so then you, you go to sleep. You can't eat or drink anything after midnight. You can't even have water when you wake up in the morning. You can't brush your teeth. Nothing. So what? Yeah. No, you can't have... They want nothing in your system. So I wake up... I didn't sleep well that night. I wake up early, like 5.30, walk my dog, go up to the the hospital, clinic, whatever. They do it. It's fine. Everything's fine. I have a polyp, which is normal, and they remove it. And um, that's what happened the first time, too. But it was benign. And so everything's cool. I come home and now I'm ravenously hungry because I haven't eaten any real food for over 24 hours. So I stuffed my goddamn face as one does. And um, I just kept eating and eating and eating. And I felt great. I felt fine. I didn't have any stomach issues. Went to bed early last night because I was exhausted. Felt like something wasn't quite right starting around midnight. And for the next four hours, I alternated projectile vomiting with diarrhea and there were times when I had both at the same time. Wow. It was, you know that scene in Bridesmaids when all the women are in the bridal yep. shop and like one's puking and one's shitting and Maya Rudolph shits in the street. I was basically reenacting all of their parts simultaneously. Nice. So I am so wiped out. First of all, I've never been skinnier. I don't know if you're seeing me on the chat room, but this is as skinny as, as Adam gets. I'm like 172 today. And I'm exhausted and I'm achy. You know when you throw up a lot? Like my, my throat hurts, my shoulders hurt from clenching. Everything's bad. Um, but I'm here and I'm happy to be here. And we actually have a caller. Who's on the phone, Jeffy? Charles. Where's Charles from? It doesn't say. Hey there. Charles from somewhere. You say what? I'm in northern Arizona. I'm in the wonderful bustling community of Cornville, Arizona. Cornville? I don't Cornville. recall eating Cornville today. What? Yeah, well, it, it, uh, rumor has it it was a typographical error. The gentleman who was filing for cityhood was named Cohn, C-O-H-N. A Jew. And Yeah, probably. And by the time the paperwork came back from Washington, D.C. to set up a post office and all that, the uh, uh, it had become Cornville. And he just sort of said, oh, screw it, and just went with that, rather than try to resubmit all the paperwork. That's a great story. Charles, how are things in Cornville today? Um, we're supposed to get 105 degrees Fahrenheit. Fuck. That's why I couldn't yeah. live there. I could never live there. Yeah, well, actually, it's a, <laughs> I know this is cliche, but it is a dry heat. So oh, Jesus. It's, it's still a heat. It's fucking hot. You melt. Yeah, yeah. But I'm I'm fine. I'm not wearing a stitch of clothing, and mm. I've got a ceiling fan. Uh, my air conditioning is on the fritz. Oh, but, I know who, uh, which Charles this is. This is one of my Facebook stalkers. Hey, Charles. Absolutely. It's, one and the same. Thank you for wow. calling in. Uh, well, keep listening to the show, because we have fabulous lesbian comedian Suzanne Westenhofer joining us later in the show. And um, I have a lot of questions for her. So, uh, so stay tuned in, and thank you for listening. Thanks for calling. You bet. Bye. Bye. Speaking of which, last week I asked the listeners not only to, f to call in, but also to create some song parodies for my opening uh, theme song. Nothing. We received none, but I also, I'm not sure I gave out an email address. <laughs> 
oh, where well, people that, should yeah. send those. So if you if you are creative and you want to create a thirty second uh, opening theme song that doesn't use any licensed music, um, send me the audio link at adam at adamsank.com. That's adam at adamsank.com. You have one of your little personalized domain names. Well, it's it's my my email for my website oh, adamsank.com. Okay. Who else is on, is on the phone, Jeff? Nobody did. All right. I didn't point to it. No, I just was wondering. I saw the little red light and on. And if you want to know where they're from, I got to work this thing a that, little longer listen. because Derek has the fucking area codes memorized. That's how he's able to say, like, Charles from fucking Arizona. He has the fucking area codes oh. memorized. Well, no, that's fine. I don't care where they're from. I just remember the first time, my, my first show ever, you seem to know where everyone was calling from. Well, on occasion, it does put a location in there. But I see. Otherwise, you know. All right. No skin off my dick. So, speaking of dicks. A Fox News commentator um, named Chadwick Moore created a huge kerfuffle this week. Chadwick Moore, if, if you haven't heard his name, and I never heard it before this week, um, he used to be the editor of The Advocate, and uh, he's a 33-year-old writer who, um, after leaving The Advocate, I guess he was freelance writing, and he wrote a piece for Out Magazine, which is owned by the same company that owns The Advocate, in which he interviewed Milo Snuffleupagus. That you know that guy, Milo Yiannopoulos, Yiannopoulos, yeah. that the the ultra right wing, transphobic, misogynistic, shithead, uh, commentator, and uh, Chadwick wrote this article about him, and it was it was an interview. It wasn't really um, praising him. It wasn't slamming him. It was just trying to like figure out what he was up to, and I didn't have a problem with with him doing that. Why are you pointing at me, Orlando? You're pointing at Lexi. You're trying to get Lexi's attention. Something's happening. All right. That's not distracting at all. I don't mind the door being open, frankly, but if you, I guess we, if we have to close it, we have to close it. Why? What's wrong? All right. Oh, the sound. So, so he's, oh yeah, I guess we have to close the door because the sound quality is bad. It's, it's 100 degrees in here as usual. It's like the Derek and Romaine sauna. Anyway, this guy wrote this interview with Milo and gay people flipped out because they felt like he was giving a platform for this hate speech and he was slammed really hard on social media um, a lot of his gay friends apparently stopped speaking to him. I don't agree with that. I think I think anyone, you know, has a right to be interviewed. I, I, I actually, when Megyn Kelly announced that she was interviewing Alex Jones and people started boycotting NBC because of that, I was against that. I feel like we have to hear what Alex Jones has to say so that we can discredit it. And, you know, we have to bring our villains into the sunlight to disinfect them. Um but apparently people freaked out, and as a result, Chadwick Moore, overnight, became a gay conservative. He had been liberal his whole life, this is according to his words, and he just suddenly switched every value, every political position he ever had, and became a conservative because he was upset that his liberal gay friends were being mean to him. I have a really hard time believing that that's even possible, but it's his right to be whatever he wants. However... He was on Fox News this past week, and he was talking to Fucker Carlson, and he, it was the anniversary of the uh, horrific Pulse nightclub shooting that killed 49 people in Orlando last year, and Chadwick started telling Fucker about the vigil that was held here in New York City. I know there were vigils held all over the country, but the, biggest, the largest one was here outside the Stonewall Inn. I was at that vigil, and to me, it was a really beautiful... Uh, day of unity and grief and yes there was a lot of discussion of gun control as there should be how could there not be after someone mows down 49 innocent people with a semi-automatic rifle yes there was a lot of anti-gun activists at the 
vigil, and that made sense to me and just about everyone else there, except Chadwick, because now that he's a conservative, he's very anti-gun control. So he's talking to Fucker, and he describes the Stonewall Inn as the gay equivalent of Mecca for Muslims. And then he says this. You know, yesterday, I'm very, very political on social media. Uh, yesterday, because I was so personally affected by, 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 emotionally affected by the tragedy, I said, I'm not posting anything political today. You know, I'm going to post about remembering the victims. I'm going to post about celebrating their lives. But, you know, attacking radical Islam can wait till Tuesday. This group couldn't wait two hours. And so they subjected everyone who showed up into their radical ideology. And, you know, most gay people aren't political. Most gay people, are, you know, they care about pop music and going to the beach. But uh, they probably know what the Second Amendment is. And so they show up to be together, to celebrate the community, to mourn together. And instead, they're just fed this anti-gun nonsense. That was pretty stupid to say. Right? Yep. Most gay people, they care about pop music and going to the beach. Well, needless to say, Jeff, this created quite a, a, a backlash. Uh, among LGBT people um, who roundly mocked and criticized him for making such a stupid statement. So I was planning to go off on a huge rant about gun control and about uh, hypocrisy and about um, conservatives and Republicans. And I decided, you know what? No, this is a fun, lighthearted radio show. And I've been getting very heavy lately with the politics. So instead, I made a list of other things gay people care about. And as I started to do the list, um, I realized I had to make two lists because the things that gay men care about are not always the things that gay women care about and vice versa. There is some overlap. So here is my list first of things that gay men care about other than pop music and the beach. Dick, ass, nipples, brunch, RuPaul's Drag Race, Broadway musicals, fashion, cooking, travel, poppers, shopping, superheroes, Channing Tatum, and not being stereotyped. Oh, which your list just completely uh, does. Of course it does. And here are the things that, and I, and I, for you women listening, I had input from two lesbian friends. I didn't want to just assume I knew what lesbians care about other than pop music and the beach. So here are the things that gay women care about. Pussy, ass, nipples, brunch, their pets, golf, softball, camping, building things, fixing things, sex toys, long-term relationships, Wonder Woman, homeopathic remedies. That was a surprise to me. I didn't know that was a lesbian thing. Tilda Swinton and not being stereotyped. And U-Hauls. And U-Hauls, thank you. Is there anything else you guys would add to... I- oh, we have a caller on the line. I don't know if he's, uh, he or he's she is calling there. about this. Who's, uh, who's the caller? It's Keith. Where's he calling from? Or we don't know. I don't know. Keith from somewhere. Hi. You say what? <laughs> it's Trucker Randy. Uh, almost in Wisconsin. Randy. Oh, wait a second. Um, it's yeah, not- it's Trucker Randy. I, I get the names mixed. He's got two weird names. One, they're both first names. Randy, it sounds like you're, ca- you're calling us from inside a land, uh, 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 like some sort of mine. Like you're inside a coal, uh, okay. a coal mine. Sure. Do you it's not hear dark. that booming sound in the background? Deal with it. Oh, well. It's a caller. Unfortunately, that's, uh, you know, the truck. Sorry. <laughs> All right. No, no problem. What's going on, Randy? 
<laughs> anyway, um, you've moved on, but uh, two things. One, uh, I was curious if you already did your Naked Comedy uh, event. That I you did. Oh, how did it go? Um, thank you for asking. It went very well. Um, one thing that was a big surprise to me and the audience was that I had the biggest penis of anyone who got naked that night. <laughs> And not only did we have four other co four other male comics, but we also brought in we brought up to the stage five audience members who got naked and told a joke, and it was a chance for them to win Margaret Cho tickets. And of the like <laughs> nine or ten guys that night that showed their dicks, mine was the largest. And I had many people come up to me afterwards and say, "Why do you always talk about your small penis? It's not small at all." You popped a Viagra, by the way. I did take a Viagra, and that did plump me up a little bit. <laughs> yes. But honestly, like I was thrilled by this. Um, it's been the talk of New York recently that uh, I have what some people consider a big penis. After my entire life believing that I had a, a, a penis that was much too small, so that's the best part of the show. Amazing! Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, the other quick thing, as I figured as a comic, um, you can appreciate, you know, randomly having somebody come up to you and, you know, be involved and excited about something you're doing. So this morning, I'm working out. There's like this ragtag little gym at one of the places I can stop. And I get through. I'm trying to do ab stuff. It's like the final purchase for me. This big boss black guy who was talking on his phone over in the corner the whole time walks over to me and just starts talking to me, which... I grew up in the middle of nowhere. I'm all excited when I get to meet a black person. I've met like six in my life. <laughs> oh, my I'm God. Like, oh my God, this is great. Um, it's not racist. I'm excited. But uh, It's a little racist, so but he, go like, ahead. Just, it kind of is. He starts talking to me. It's like, so, at work, I have something for you. I'm like, uh, uh, okay, I'm open to whatever. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so he just has me like take like a 25-pound uh plate and like put it on my chest and do crunch that way which i've seen guys do it but i've never really done them and i go to reach like a 10 pound because you know I, I don't know i'm gonna hurt myself and he like looks at me and says, no you got the muscle take the 25 and i just look at this guy and i'm like wow maybe i've really made it maybe i actually look buff now <laughs> and then you blew him uh well i mean given the opportunity well no i'd have to ask permission I mean, I, what I, kind I, of gym is this? Wasn't there sex going on in the locker room? No, no. This is like a warehouse that they like threw a couple pieces of equipment in a corner oh, with like a like chain a box. Like fence, so. yeah. Mm. yeah. Well, that so sounds like a missed there, opportunity. But, yeah, it's more than I used to get. Randy, so, uh, um, what are some other things that gay people care about that were not on my list? Muscles. Well, well, muscles is good. Yeah, muscle. Muscle is definitely in there. Looking good. Uh, food. Food is important to food everyone, I would say. Yes. Oh, and being naked. And being naked. Excellent. Randy, thank you for calling. Keep uh, keep on trucking. Sure. Have a good one. Bye, honey. Honestly, it sounds like he was calling from inside my colon. That's what my colonoscopy sounded like. It was like, boom. I know, but here's the thing. Like, you have to take the bad with the good at this point. Because you were bitching about getting no callers. I wasn't callers, criticizing him. as soon as he got on the phone, you Jeffy, bitched at him. I wasn't criticizing him. I was trying to figure out what, what it was that I was hearing. Gotcha. Because it's a radio show, and if you don't acknowledge when strange sounds happen, then the right. listeners think you're not paying attention. Am I right, listeners? Anyway, call us in, call us up, rather, at uh, 844-TALK-DNR. If you have other things to add to the list of what gay men and gay women care about, um, I thought my list was rather uh, complete. Do you guys have anything anything to add? Uh, yes, Alexi? 
I have a question. Please. So, what about the buys? Well, that is a Maybe good question. Maybe both lists apply to them. Right? Maybe. I mean, I've never, I have to say, I don't know enough bisexual people. You have one right here. To, uh, hey. <laughs> well, why don't you tell us what are the, if you had to make a list of the things that were most important to you in life as a, bise- as a bisexual woman. A bisexual? Yes. A bisexual? Mm. I thought it was bisexual. Bisexual. <laughs> tell, tell us what's most important to you. Um, well, for me, it's, you know, the dick and pussy. Mm-hmm. I, I'm equal. Yes. Have you ever had both at the same time? Yes, I have. That's wow. nice. <laughs> what was the situation? Well, um, it was two of my friends. You know, we got drunk one night mm-hmm. and we decided to, you know, experiment. And how old were you? I was actually 14. Oh, shit. <laughs> I don't know if it's legal to talk about this uh, shit. Yeah, it is. As long as they were not uh, adults. No, they wasn't. Good. I mean, there another story. Oh, dear. That's a long time ago. But, um, yeah. But we all got drunk. You know, still our mother, our parents liquored and drunk. And mm-hmm. just ended up in the bedroom. And then I was kissing on a girl. He was kissing on both of us literally strapped me down to the bed and then all three of us was just having a wonderful explosion of good godliness and he must have been in heaven yeah he was because i know that i mean he was a straight man yes Mm -hmm. i know that straight straight boys and straight men they love the idea of two women at the same time pretty much and so uh Was there anything, in other words, you did everything to both of them, right? Like there was oral, there was vaginal, there was anal. No anal. (laughs) No anal. So you're not an equal opportunity bisexual. Um, See, I don't eat butt, okay? That's not in my uh, menu. I mean, don't get me wrong. I I don't have a problem sticking my hands in there as long as I wash it after, you know. Mm. Mm. I rarely eat butt. I have to really, first of all, I have to really like the guy. Um, he has to have a beautiful ass with no hair on it, and I have to ha- I have to know that he showered like in the last hour, and then sometimes I'll stick my tongue in there. But I, I you know, so many gay guys, it's like their absolute favorite thing to do is eat ass. See, I'm different. Like with me, I would have to. I don't care if you took a shower an hour later or twenty minutes. I have to wash you myself. Yes, I think that's a good policy. I have to wash you myself in order to know how how it. Is like yeah. I'm I'm a type of person like if I'm in a shower with somebody I like to visual your body mm-hmm. like I like to take my sweet time but then torture you also. Lexi turns out to be the best guest ever. Why weren't we interviewing <laughs> oh, wow. her on, on on the ass all this time? I guess. Um, well, thank you, Lexi, for that uh, lovely story. I, it makes me feel dirty, and I'm sure there's more than one listener out there who is titillated by this story. Um, I will tell you that when I was 14, uh, I had two friends spend the night, both guys. And uh, one of them brought an old, worn VHS copy of Deep Throat, the most famous adult movie of all time. I don't know where he got it from. But uh, we didn't have sex, but the three of us were like as hard as a rock the entire time, and we just started all jerking off at the same time. And for me, that was about the most exciting thing that I'd ever done in my life. Uh, we have a caller on the line. Yes, it's Derek from New York. Oh, Derek, you say what? <laughs> Oh my God! It's so sexual in there when the temperature goes up. <laughs> right? Go A. Yes. Hi, Derek. Is this legal, Derek? Hello, Are the Lexi. interns allowed to talk about this shit? Yes. Okay. It De- is a free speech zone on the air. 
Derek, it is hotter than balls in this studio. And, and just... Romaine left the fan on, too, for you. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, tell her we want the portable AC she promised three shows ago. Right? Oh, yeah. I'm sitting here She's shirtless, right Derek. <laughs> right yeah, well, you were going to... You know what? Even if it was an icebox in there, you would still take your top off. That's true, because I like for my nipples to get hard. I'm I know. It makes right the show now. even better. Derek, where are you listening from? Are you up in your uh, in your home today, up, I upstate? Am, I, I am at home, and uh, my neighbors had a... A surprise birthday party for one of my neighbors, and then I, I left without saying goodbye and came over here so I could listen to the show oh. and get ready for our YouTube live show happening at 4 p.m. Eastern time. Oh, that's the real reason you're calling in. So Derek and no. Romaine are promoting some shit, and they are doing a YouTube live uh, check-in. Is it called a check-in, a hangout? It is our, it's YouTube live, and it's on our YouTube channel, and I posted it. It's on Twitter and on our Facebook pages, so people can find it there, the link for YouTube. But, um, yeah, it's our two-year cancel-aversary today. It was two years ago today that SiriusXM canceled our old show. And so we thought we would do these uh, a little video to catch people up on how the last two years have gone. I think that's beautiful. And I know that millions of people will be tuning in for that far more than are listening to me right now. That's not necessarily true. Uh, But I will say this that, um, well, one, it's on YouTube, so it'll live forever. So the people who are time-shifting while they listen to you will be able to go to YouTube any old time they want. And I am in the live chat room while your show is going on at DerekAndRemain.com. And so the listeners did say, oh, can you, will you, will you call in too? Oh, well, I'm glad you did. It's lo- always lovely to hear from you. And uh, I haven't actually seen you since your Cinco, I, I think this year it was a Dos de Mayo party. Um, so it's always good to hear your, your, your honey-dripping voice, Derek. I know. I think the listeners think that you and I hang out more often than we do, and we really don't hang out very often, which is a bummer. I would hang out with, with you more if we lived in the same place, but you live uh, up in the burbs. I know. In the split second that the show ends, I fly, I grab my broomstick, and I fly the fuck out of there. Yeah, who can blame you? All right, honey bunny, keep listening. We're about to, have to, uh, we're about to talk to Suzanne Westenhofer. Well, you give my best to the lovely Suzanne Wessenhofer. She is a delight, and she gets along with Romaine, even though Romaine can be very foul-mouthed in inappropriate places with her. Yeah, not everyone gets along with Romaine. That's not true. Lots of people get along with Romaine just fine. <laughs> but we had an interaction with Suzanne Wessenhofer where we were in a quasi-church, and Romaine was very filthy in there. So she sometimes is inappropriate. Uh, that is certainly true. All right. Well, you guys tune in at four o'clock to YouTube, to Derek and Romaine's YouTube channel for to celebrate the cancel anniversary. And uh, I'll talk to you soon, honey. All right. Bye. bye. We're going to talk to Susan Westenhofer in just a moment. Is it Susan or Suzanne? Suzanne. Suzanne. Okay. Because yes. I'm about to call her. I don't want to be calling her Susan. If her name no, is it is Suzanne. All right. Uh, I just want to quickly mention my favorite photo of the week. And many of you probably have seen this already. This guy, Nikos Giannopoulos, was named Rhode Island's Teacher of the Year. And um, because he won that, he was uh, invited to the White House for a quick meet and greet and photo op with Donald and Melania Trump. And so he posed for the picture with them um, behind Trump's desk in the Oval Office. And I guess right as they were taking the picture, he whipped out this giant black lace fan and unfurled it and held it to the side, very much like a Tijak shade fan. And... um, and it went viral. It's the most hilarious picture. If you haven't seen it, you can uh, Google Rhode Island Teacher of the Year and Trump or Nikos Giannopoulos, or you can just look at my um, my Twitter name, at Adam Sank. 
because I posted it yesterday. But it's to me, it's a it's a fabulous picture because it it's a real form of political protest, um, in the sense that he's saying like, first of all, he's very not so subtly throwing shade at Donald Trump, literally. But there's nothing violent about the image. There's nothing hateful. It's sort of in the way that I thought Kathy Griffin's thing was a huge mistake. I think this was a a beautiful, perfect form of political protest. And he he gave interviews afterwards where he basically said. Um, you know, he said, I wore a blue jacket with a bold print and carried a black lace fan to celebrate the joy and freedom of gender nonconformity. I guess he's also um, gender nonconforming. Quote, I wore an anchor necklace in honor of the state of Rhode Island, whose motto hope was inspired uh, by the Bible. Anyway, I just thought it was so cool. And uh, I, I love the idea of Trump and Melania looking at this picture later and just being like, what the fuck? What was this? Anyway, I actually thought it was photoshopped. But. Yeah, a lot of people didn't think it was a real photo. It looks photoshopped, but it's 100% real. All right, you guys, we are about to talk to um, one of my favorite comedians. Um, I've been a fan of hers since I was in my early 20s. And the weird thing about that is she and I are almost the same age. She's not much older than me, but apparently she started very young and became successful very fast because I've always known who she was. Um, she was the first openly lesbian comedian to ever appear on television. People think it's Ellen or Rosie. No, it was her. Um, I want to actually hear a little bit of her before we talk to her live. Hit it, Orlando. Finally, however, it does work out to be homosexual at the airport. It's about time, a little, little, just a little bonus for us, right? Because now, if you have to get pat, patted down, security, the men have to pat down the men, and the women have to pat down the women. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. And for me, come on, have you seen those women in their little security guard outfits, right? And they're all tough, you know. Ma'am, could you stand over here, please, and spread your legs? Uh huh. <laughs> you are excellent with the wand. Ladies and gentlemen, live from Columbus, Ohio, Suzanne Westenhofer. Bye, hon. The studio audience goes crazy. How are you, Suzanne? I oh, it's so funny that you played that little piece. I was I've just been listening to all this stuff that I did, you know, five years ago, whatever, because I'm getting ready to get up at the rally here in Columbus, Ohio, at their Pride rally in like an hour and a half. <laughs> and you know, it's not. It's always been difficult for comedians to do comedy outside in the middle of the day. It's the worst. You know, kids are running around. It's very weird because comedy is so intimate. And comedy isn't like music and it's not a speech. It's dark. And we say the mean things. We, you know, that's just what we do. Or we say the thing you're not supposed to say. That's the whole point. And so that's always really difficult when half the audience is like 12 year old to take everything very literally. She's going to kill her cat. You know what I mean? It's, so I've just been sitting here trying to think, what, what can I do for like 15 minutes? So I'm lit listening to all this old stuff I did and it's really I don't even know what I'm going to say I am not kidding you I'm getting up in like a little over an hour and I have no idea what I'm going to be doing you know I did the New that York, is not usual I, <laughs> I performed at the New York City Pride Rally once a few years ago and and I know exactly mm -hmm. what you're talking about you it's it's first of all it's not a comedy audience uh, no. Second of all, it's daytime. Third of all, it's outside. Yeah. It's it's sort of like you're just so out of your element, and people just kind of stare at you like, 
I don't know, are we supposed to listen? Are we supposed to laugh? What's what's right. happening? But I'm sure you're going to kill because, uh, first well, of all... Well, here's the thing. When I first started, though, it was I could kill at those Pride events, even though it's outside. And, you know, I mean, that's always hard. But because you could just say, we want the right to get married, and everybody would yell, and you could do a little marriage joke. Or you could go... Uh, you, you could just say these little things, and we were so unified on kind of an us against them or like a civil rights thing, you know what I mean? Right. Things we wanted. There, and, were, there, were obvious, now, there were obvious applause lines. Correct. And now, quote, unquote, we have everything. You know, we don't. But you know what I mean? And so, and the younger gays, as much as I love them, are, Clueless. they're more sensitive than we, I got, I did a show, a big show at a gala, and afterwards a bunch of, um, like, 19-year-olds got upset because I was doing all this stuff about walking in the first AIDS walk and being a member of ACT UP and Queer Nation. I was making all these jokes about how that was so long ago, and so they got up and made a statement about how I was ageist. Oh, my God. Because then I wasn't including them. I'm like... Oh my God! Now what do you do with that? Can I just say, and this this goes beyond stand up comedy. We have to stop the infighting. We have to stop no, segmenting ourselves into smaller and smaller communities. And it's like, no, you know, I'm your gender. I'm gender nonconforming, and you're not. And I'm a person of color, and you're not. And yeah, it's and not that all of those things aren't important. But my God. We, if we don't but it's the reason why the crazy left-wingy kind of people, the super religious, that kind of people, it's the reason they're winning. You mean the right they wing? they have one goal. Like, the right wing. They have, like, one goal, and it's usually um, religion-related and moral-related, you know what I mean? It's about control, and they all sort of agree on that one thing, and they'll kind of look over little things. We won't. We will do, oh, like, that, that, that guy's too gay, or he's not gay enough, or he... He does. He uses he and him instead of they and them, and so he's not. We're picking at each other for these little tiny things. Right. I think we're playing identity politics rather than community politics, and and totally losing. And and losing. And it's and I think people have to realize that you know my issues aren't the same as your issues, but we're both part of the LGBT community. So let's focus Correct. on what we can all do together and unite Correct. against our common enemies. I am not your enemy because I'm white. You know, I'm not your enemy right. because I'm a man or because I'm cisgender. I may be I can't different. Do anything about that? Right. You I may have I mean? way more privilege all... than you, but I still am your ally. We su- we should support each other. And what 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 happened to the like? I'm always like like educate me. Like if I make a mistake in how I do a joke and it's about uh, transgender, right? Then don't be mad at me. Educate me. You don't don't even be just t- tell me like oh well actually we don't use this phrase. Most people say that. You know what I mean? Teach, teach me. Right. So that I know how to do it. Don't just shame me and tell me how wrong I am. Tell me why. And go on Twitter or go on Facebook and be all like, and, 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 she said this, and she did this, or he did this. And you're like, oh, my God, where's the, where, when did we get so close? <laughs> well, and, and the thing is, I think what you were talking about in the beginning is, is the reason why. I think as we make advances, as, you know, the, the basic civil rights, like the right to marry, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the right to to work without being fired for being gay, which, by the way, is not the law nationally, but it is the it's law not, in many no. states. Um, right. You know, the right to serve openly in the military. We fought for these things for so many years, and now that we, we have them, we're starting to turn on one another. Um, Suzanne, I want to ask you I'm about how you, how you started, because the, the fact that you were the first openly gay woman comedian 
to appear on television is incredible to me. And um, I, I should mention, Suzanne was the first openly lesbian comedian to have her own HBO special and the first openly lesbian comedian on Late Night with David Letterman. But before yeah. that happened... You were on the Sally Jesse Raphael show. Oh no! On an episode, oh called, on an episode called "Breaking the Lesbian Stereotype: Lesbians Who Don't Look Like Lesbians," which is something we would never say now. Never. Tell me all right? about that. How did that happen? Um, they, uh, you know, when they would have gay people every now and again, or especially lesbians, they would have them on Phil Donahue or Sally Jesse or Oprah or whatever, and they um, always picked very stereo- stereotypical lesbians. Um, and so a lot of lesbians would complain to the producers of these shows. Now, I think they pick lesbians who are willing to be open. And so sometimes, and this is true for gay men too, sometimes the people who were willing to be open are the people that couldn't blend. Right. Because they looked particularly gay, whatever that means. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. The, 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 the original the Stonewall, the original Stonewall riot drag queens. participants were, were, were trans women, drag queens, people of color. Absolutely. Correct. Because they, they, they knew they couldn't get away with anything, so they're out. So they don't mind going on TV to talk about it. Anyway, so Sally Jesse decided to send out some producers to bars in New York City at the time I was living in New Jersey and um, find lesbians who don't fit the stereotype, right? And, of course, remember, this is 1991, um, and who are willing to go on TV and talk about it. So that was, like, the, the big trick. Because people in 1991 were still terrified to be out. Right. I think they are still, but it's not obviously at the same level. And you were already doing stand-up at that time. And I had, I've been doing stand-up for six whole months. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how old were you? You had to have been like 21. No, no, no. I was like, no, I was almost, I was almost 30. I was 29 years old. Wow. When I started. I know, I'm old. No, I started old. later, I started later than you, but I, 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 you know, when you look at Suzanne, she doesn't look like someone who's been doing comedy for, what is it, 30 years? Like, you, you, you look like a young 20... woman. Seven years now. Yeah. Right? You, you, 27 years I've been doing stand-up. I've been on the road for 20, um, 25 years. Oh, my def- God. You definitely don't look like that. So you, so you go on the show, and what happens? And what basically what happened is she, I, I, was, uh, I had big hair and tons of makeup, so I didn't look like a quote-unquote lesbian, so that was perfect, right? You know what I mean? Mm. So she brings me on the show, and she introduces me as, she says, and you're a lesbian stand-up comedian. And that was great, but it also, I mean, the Sally Jesse people were literally, like, handing out my email and because they couldn't take it anymore. So many people were calling in going, a lesbian comedian, where, can we get her to do this? Can we get her to do this? And so the gay community kind of opened itself to me in that sense. I didn't have to go and find them. It was sort of nice for, you know, every drag queen event that needs a hostess. Right, all the AIDS, all the AIDS benefits, all the AIDS memorials, because there was so much of that still going on, and prides, of course, prides, and all the other. And so I started doing stand up that way, and I got pretty good pretty fast. And well, then that's, I, that's what York, I was going to ask you. Club. When I think about myself at six months, if I had had that kind of exposure and opportunity, I would have, uh, I, you know, I would have hit the ground like a like a lead balloon. I wasn't okay, ready. Were you ready? Yeah, I was. Here's the thing, though, that I think is different. I bartended for 10 years, right out of well, my last year in college through, and, I, and I, I come from a funny family, too. Like, we're just funny storytellers, and I think that 10 years bartending sort of, you know what I mean? I think it sort of it was, you, my, sure. it was my boot camp, yeah. and so by the time I went on the first, uh, when I was at the first clubs, 
I mean, I, I kind of knew how to handle a crowd. I, I didn't have any problem with that, and I was ready to go. Within, and I noted this, because you're a stand-up too, so you understand. I was doing one-hour shows by myself before I had been doing stand-up a full year. That's crazy. That People don't but understand don't how long it... That, I mean, I know, I know comedians who've been doing it for 10 years and still can't do a solid hour. That's pretty scary. But, it, but it's but true. But it might be true. I mean, because most people, especially if you live in a city like New York or L.A. and, and you don't go on the road, um, the most you ever get is 15 or 20 minutes on stage. Right, and you don't get the practice. Right. When I started and doing that, solo shows... No, when I started doing solo shows and I had to do 45 or an hour, um, I found in, in, the, in the early days that I could do like a great 20 minutes and, I, and the audience was right with me and then I, right with you. they'd start to fade and it took a yeah. long time. It took years before I really felt like I can hold this audience for a full hour. So the fact that you were doing that in less than a year, I mean, yeah, you have to be some, really crazy. even with the bartending, you have to be some kind of comedy uh, prodigy. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It just was what I was supposed to be doing. That's how I've always looked at it. It's like, oh, this is your job. This is what you're supposed to be doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's yeah. So when you yeah. when you did those early shows and you were sort something of a novelty, being you know yeah. the first and In only out gay women. How did straight audiences respond to you when you would play it at straight events and straight clubs? Uh, well, I will tell you what's sort of sad about that is that. I got a lot of acceptance from straight audiences. Like the only time I ever had any trouble at all was when I did like six weeks at the Dallas Improv uh-huh. in the early 90s. And I had a couple of people would like go to the manager and go, we didn't pay money to hear no lesbian. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it was a lot. But though I never got really heckled. I don't think I have that kind of show. But what I did get was gay people who happened to be in the club would be nervous and upset because they would think I was going to say or do something that would make things bad. Like, as I, all of a sudden, I was responsible for our whole community. Right. You know what I mean? So if you get up there and there's, like, you know, two groups of gay people in the whole club and the club's full, there's only them, but you could, and they would get upset, and then they'd come up afterwards and go, you shouldn't say that thing Ugh. about lesbians being all vegetarians because... Or you shouldn't say that thing about gay men and the sex club. You know what I mean? Because they were so trauma. Like they did. They thought I was the only. Like I was the only voice. I wasn't the only voice for us. But I was being treated like that. You know. Right. They were worried that I would give up secrets. I guess. <laughs> well, and I, I've, I, so I feel like I've come full circle with gay audiences. When I first started, I hated performing for gay men. Um, and lesbians, because I just felt felt like they were so critical and so judgmental, and you know they were looking at me in a way that was kind of like, "Why does this bitch think she's any funnier than I am?" You know, where oh, yeah. where oh, straight yeah. crowds were like, "Oh my god, he's gay! That's so fun and different and exciting, and I want to hear all about it." And and I feel like I've come I've completely gone in the other direction now, where when I do a straight audience now, a lot of the times it feels a bit like I'm doing a minstrel show. And I don't get to do the kind of comedy that I really love, which is like really dirty and and real and stuff that like oh, right. other gay men actually talk yeah. about when when we're alone together. So now it's like well, when, I'll tell you what. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I'll say though one thing I've I've, I've that I've talked about with other uh, gay men who are stand up comics, including funny gay males who started back when I did. Yeah. Um, one of the one of the things that's true is 
the gay male audience is the cream audience for every performer. You get the gay men on your side, and your career is set, and you can go forever, and they will stand behind you. Yeah, that, hasn't, that hasn't happened for me but, yet. <laughs> but no, wait, it will not happen. Here's what. It will not happen for gay men who are doing stand-up. They have to work five times as hard as everybody else to get the gay men to like them. Thank you. And I think that's a little self-hate. I think it's self-hate. I also think it's about aesthetics. I think that, um, you know, stand-up comedy is and, and always has been kind of a straight guy's game, um, both in terms of who I does it and who goes okay. to see it. Yeah, but gay men will really, really love on a straight girl comic. Correct. They, in fact, they, when you think Joan Rivers, she didn't even, her career was dying until straight men kind of brought her back and then put her on a pedestal. Gay men. Yes. Yeah. Amen. And they've done that to, um, and they, uh, obviously, Kathy Griffin. Kathy Griffin, Margaret Cho. Uh, Margaret Cho, that's her whole career. I mean, that's the truth. But so my, ex it, my experience is that gay men would much rather see a drag queen than see a, a comedian, oh, male or female, gay or straight. 100% I agree that that's true. And I don't, I and, agree with that. And I don't put down, I mean, drag is amazing, and drag is a kind of stand-up. I love it. But, um, exactly. But it's it is hard for for someone like me who just wants to get on stage without the wig and the tits and the heels. And, and I have wig on. Right. But uh, no, I, I totally understand. I totally get it. I feel that. And also, when I do a, an audience that's all gay men, I'll be they'll be loving it, loving it, loving it. I'll be killing, killing, killing. But God forbid, I do a couple of jokes about lesbians specifically, <laughs> unless unless it's something that's sort of mocking lesbians or making fun of them. Then they love that. But if I happen to do just some sort of like lesbians and their cats jokes or kind of stuff, eh, or God forbid, lesbians and sex. <laughs> oh, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. Don't say vagina. Don't say vagina. You know. Isn't that so misogynistic? But it's very real. It's some, And you're a comic. I'm a comic. You know, this is something we can be all mad about it, but we have to own it. This is how we make our living and adjust to it each time you get up on stage. I have to adjust to um, queer, I'm a woman, right? You have to address to you're a white guy, I'm a white girl, you know, those kind of things. You, and you have to address to that you're a gay guy, and if you have all gay guys, they want, they want you to be dragged. They want that performance, that kind of thing. And if you're just joining you us, uh, we're talking to Suzanne Westenhofer, openly gay comedian, the first openly gay <laughs> woman comedian ever on television. Uh, here on the Adam Sank Show. Um, something you just said is is something I don't think non-comics understand about comedy. I think people think Ooh, we get what? on we get on stage and we just kind of read from our script and then we're done. But oh, gosh. most of what we do is trying to adjust to whatever's happening Absolutely. in the room, right? Oh, and and it's and it, you know this too. Like it can be. It can be everything. If you, for example, I perform a lot in places that are resort towns, you know, or places where people are on vacation. So, like Provincetown, Key West, right? So, you can't just get up and do your regular show. People, they might be all mad because it's raining and they're on vacation. They might be drunk because they're drinking too much because they're on vacation. Yep. They might be mad because the place that they were supposed to stay, um, doesn't have the room ready for you them, you know, all this kind of crazy, like, you know, whatever they're going through, you have to get over that to get them to take, to get them to come with you for your story about cats or dogs, you know? Right. And it's huge. It's yeah, a huge I've, deal. I've often thought that what stand-up is really about is, first and foremost, is getting the audience to like you, 
and to yep. identify with you, and then you can take them anywhere identify, you want. Yeah. But if you don't win them over, like it doesn't matter how funny you are, what jokes you you use, what material you use. Like if they don't like you, if they find you off-putting in any way, like you're fucked. Yeah, you're done. And that's you're the done. trick. And uh, the end. They can be loving you, and how many times has this happened to you? And you say one thing that just doesn't kind of click. Maybe you didn't know that their town, you know, is it's Ohio State, and they hate Michigan, and you happen to say something, and you go, blah, 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 Michigan. And then they turn on you. <laughs> and you're like, what? Yeah, they are. You know? They're fickle bitches, those, those comedy audiences. Um, I, people don't, I, most people think that the hardest thing that we do is getting in front of the audience, because that's a, and speaking, because that's a big fear for all humans. Right. But that's the easiest part for me. The right. hardest part is, is making them identify, pay attention, not take you literal, but take you funny. You know, that's the hardest. And fighting against alcohol or whatever else is in the room that happens to be, you know, happening. I respect singers. Singers rule. They can sing in front of four people with a pool, people playing pool in the background and still be fabulous. Yeah. And actually, it's so can so drag awesome. queens. I mean, it, you can go see a drag queen yeah. in, a, in a noisy bar and a noisy club, and you can talk to your friends during the show and still enjoy the show. Whereas if yeah, people are talking and distracted during our shows, that's it. The show's over. Then we're, There's no well, way we can and, succeed. And if one person starts to kind of chatter, then another person does, And it's like, yeah, they don't. You can't get over the end. Have you ever done this? I don't know. This might be a girl comic thing. If someone does heckle me, and it's pretty rare, I gotta say, I'm lucky, and you say some shit thing back to them real quick, you know, some shutdown, because I'm a girl, a woman, a lady, whatever, <laughs> the audience will often turn on me because they're like, what to say then? What? Oh, you don't have to be that mean to them. And you're like, it's the same kind of stuff that you know every male comic in the world could get away with. That's right. But they're, they, you know, ultimately they're like, oh, come on, lady, you're, you're a girl, you shouldn't be talking like that. Yeah. Unless you have that kind of personality and they know it, it's your standard, you know, like you're a, an insult comic, you're a mean comic, that kind of thing. Right, it's like you're supposed to be sweet and, and you know, soft-spoken because you're a woman. And it's like, no, that's not my job, I'm on stage trying to make you laugh. Oh, I'll tell you, that part. That's, that's been every women. I mean, women have been bitching about that since the beginning of comedy. Suzanne, when you were coming up, exactly. who, were, who were your main uh, comedy influences? Um, I'm going to say probably the comic I loved the most and was, uh, is um, George Carlin. Mm. Uh, I, loved his, I loved his use of words. Yeah. He, you know, I just I thought that was so brilliant. And obviously... You know, I was mad for Lily Tomlin, but I never thought of her as a stand-up. You know, she was like a above stand-up. You know, she's an actress. Yeah, she's almost it, a, a performance artist. She, uh, yeah, she's the best of all things, that's without a doubt. But it's not, I don't think of her as like Lily and a microphone up against a brick wall, you know, Telling jokes, I don't think of her that way, and I don't think I don't even know that she's ever done that. I think she's done specials where she tells stories, and she does stories sometimes yeah. in, in character, sometimes out of character. But the stories aren't necessarily all that funny; they're more interesting yeah. and, and prov provocative, and and they sort of make and you I'm think. A, I'm a storyteller, so I like that. I mean, I don't I don't use characters per se. You know what I mean? Right. But I I have a lot of respect for storytelling comics because that's the style I do. 
you know, I, I tell you about my partner and us going on this cruise or the traffic when we were going to whatever, you know what I mean? I do a lot of that, so I have a lot of respect for that kind of stand-up. Were you a fan of Joan Rivers? Oh, yeah. I actually was fortunate enough to meet her a bunch of times, but in my first, like, year, year and a half of stand-up, I did this thing at, in New York with her. She did, it was called Joan and Friends. It was a, to raise money for a, a different AIDS organization. Mm-hmm. Probably, so probably me, God's love we deliver. Yeah, I can't remember. I think so too. She right? was on the board. But, of that. Okay, so I did, um, I did my set, and then afterwards, and there were about four other comics in her. Okay, it was a great night. And after my set, she comes up to me and she said, "Go, oh, you were great, and thank you, thank you." Like she'd been doing ever. And then she takes me aside and she goes, "And remember," she says, "This is your job." that you get to do, and it's the greatest job in the world. So when people ask you for a picture or people ask you for an autograph, you smile and you say thank you and you give it to them because you're still at work. You, you're not working in a factory. You're a performer, and that's part of it. And then she was so sweet about it, and I took that really to heart. I really did. You know what I mean? Because that's true. Yeah, and she that, really you know, lived she, that. She spent money. They just spent money to see you. I'm sorry, they were in traffic and stuff. You know what I mean? You don't be like, oh, I can't sign an autograph. I can't possibly meet you or get a picture. Yeah, Joan. Come Joan. Li- Joan lived that, and and uh, correct. I, I got to meet her a few times. Um, Is that neat? Amazing. I mean, I was before I was a comedian. I was a, a news producer at Fox News Channel for six years. Which we won't even go into right now. It was I know, right? Like my own private Auschwitz. But um, but Joan came on as a guest a couple times. I, I worked on what was then the morning show, um, very different from what Fox and Friends became. But she came on oh, to promote yeah. a book, and I did a a pre-interview with her on the telephone. I was just a lowly associate producer, and she was so lovely and so gracious and fun. She really is. She talked fun. to me like I was a peer. Um, she was, you know, very interested in what I had and what was going on with me and and what my job was like. And then she shows up for the interview and, uh, she's great. She's, you know, I meet her in the green room. We take a picture together. She's really warm and great on the air. She was very excited because it was her first time back on any Fox network since the demise of her talk show. Oh, I remember. Yes. Yes. So it was a big deal for her. And Joan cared about stuff like that, you know? Yes, she did. So then she comes back two years later. I'm no longer on the morning show. I worked on the day side, um, you know, doing like the noon show. And mm-hmm. she comes in and she shows up at the green room and suddenly a production assistant comes down into the newsroom and says, Joan Rivers is asking for you. Oh, come on. That's so cool. Now, can you imagine the number of people that she meets in a year? Right. That she somehow, and she must have, she must write, she must have written everything down, but she remembered me and made a point of Doesn't uh, matter. calling it's me up. It doesn't matter. the fact that she takes that time. I know. It just meant the world to me because she was an, she was one of my idols from the earliest days. I, I, I owned her, um, what becomes a semi-legend most album. Semi-legend most, yes. When I was like 12. And uh-huh. I always loved her. So I'm, I'm, I miss her. I'm sorry she's gone. And I think she was oh, an inspiration, not just for women, but for all comedians. And she would be killing it right now with all Trump and the administration, oh, yeah. I think. I think she'd be killing it. And well, fun. what's interesting is she and Trump were friends. Yeah. She really she liked him. Remember she was on Apprentice? She won. But I think that she would... Say again? She won the Celebrity Apprentice. That's right. My God, I forgot she won. And she, You're I think, right. became more conservative in her older days. But I have to think she would be appalled by everything he said oh, and I done. Oh, I think she'd be appalled. Yeah. Because it's still the president... Like, 
I didn't like him because I lived in New York and Jersey in the 80s, and we all, and I knew all those people because I was a bartender. I knew all those bartenders and people who worked for him at the different casinos that he had ripped off or wasn't, wouldn't give them this benefit. You know what I mean? I knew what a jerk he was just because that's how we were. And she knew that, too, and maybe she made friends with him because he might be a different kind of person when you know him. You know right. what I mean? But she's still not going to be okay about, I would not believe for a second, she would be okay with our country being led like this. How are you dealing in your stand-up with Trump and politics right now? Because I find if I even say his name, I turn an audience off completely. It depends. It totally depends. I get up sometimes, and you can, and you can see them. They want from you. They want you to heal it, make it better, as if I have some sort of power. And I'm like, you know, I can't do it. I can't change it. You know what I mean? It's, this is what's happened. But I will say that, and I have other comics, we've all been talking about this in L.A., you can't write Trump jokes unless you're performing every night like you're Jimmy Fallon or, or Stephen Cabrera and you have a team with you. Because if, you, if he does some fucked up on Thursday and you write a joke about it or think of a great joke about it, by Friday night second show, if you say it, he's already done three other things. Nobody's even thinking about that anymore. That's exactly it's right. Not, there's such a silent. there's such a political whiplash these days that, that every time we get shocked and outraged, uh, five minutes later there's something new to be shocked and outraged over. Correct. It's crazy. And so, you can't keep up with it to be any kind of uh, you can't be timely. And like I said, unless you have a team of writers where you're doing a show every night and those guys are killing it. They're doing great. Su- Suzanne, people as a regular this comic, we, I can't even keep up. We have just a couple minutes left. I want to let people know that they can follow you on Suzanne new.com is your website. Oh no, it's Suzanne W. Oh, I'm sorry. Suzanne. <laughs> I know, I do that too. I I swear I thought it said Suzanne New. All right, Suzanne W makes more sense. It's because the NNE. Yes. Yeah, I get it. Suzannew.com is her website. Please follow her on Twitter. I I love your Twitter. It's SZ. I'm very political on Twitter, and I'm not very political with my show. Yeah. It's SZ West One. Um, Suzanne is one of these people on Twitter where I agree with 100% of what she says. I never disagree with you. Oh, I love that. Thank you. And, uh, and I, I'll tell you what I like to think of on Twitter for other performers who are, you know, other of us who are out there trying to make a living with the live audience. I retweet. I, like, if you, if you tweet something and I see you're going to be somewhere, I don't care if I'm going to be there. I don't care if it's competing with me. I don't care. I'm going to retweet it because this social media is all we have anymore to get the word out so that people come to our live shows. Right. So and it's- Freaks me out when people won't retweet. Suzanne, it has been such a pleasure talking to you. People can see you in Columbus, Ohio tonight. You're touring all over the country. Uh, Thank you for joining us. I'm Adam Sank. Hashtag ass. See you guys soon. Suzanne, I'm sorry. We got cut off. Adam Sank. You just heard a bit of Derek and Romaine. If you like what you hear, you should be subscribing to the new Derek and Romaine show. Subscribing has never been easier or cheaper. So for less than 7 bucks a month, you can get a ton of great stuff. Yeah, exactly. Like you can listen to the live show that airs every day on weekdays from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Plus, you can also get a personal URL to stream the live show and download past episodes on your favorite podcast app. You've been listening to Derek and Romaine for free. Isn't it time you started paying and subscribed to the all-new Derek and Romaine? 